0: At this beginning of Advent, we turn to the very beginning of Luke's gospel, and we encounter the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth, the parents of John the Baptist, who was a cousin of Jesus. So I invite you to stand together as we hear this this good story, this good news of great joy. In the days of King Herod of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly order of Abijah. His wife was a descendant of Aaron. Her name was Elizabeth. Both of them were righteous before God, living blamelessly according to all the commandments and regulations of the Lord, but they had no children because Elizabeth was barren and both were getting on in years. Now, when Zechariah was serving as priest before God and his section was on duty, he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and offer incense. There appeared to him an angel of the Lord. When Zechariah saw him, he was terrified and fear overwhelmed him. But the angel said, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you will name him John. You will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He will turn many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And Zechariah said to the angel, How will I know that this is so? For I am an old man, and my wife is getting on in years. But the angel replied, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. But now, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time, you will become mute, unable to speak until the day these things occur. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah outside the temple. They wondered at his delay in the sanctuary. When he did come out, he could not speak to them, just as the angel had said. Well, after those days, his wife Elizabeth did indeed conceive, and for five months she remained in seclusion. When the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, she bore a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown His great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. On the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and all assumed that they were going to name him Zechariah after his father. But his mother said, no, he is to be called John. This is the gospel of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be to God. God. You may be seated. Let's pray. Lord well, God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, for you are our rock, our strength, our hope, and our Redeemer. Amen. Well, I sure did hope you have a great Thanksgiving. It was a beautiful week, really. I mean, just a grand opportunity to offer thanks. Of course, that's what we're supposed to do uh, during Thanksgiving, whether it was a day or a week for you. Amazing weather, lots of laughter for us, way too much food. Uh, Now we have to pay the price, right? The highlight for me every Thanksgiving is when is when, uh, when at my family's gathering or my side of the family's gathering, uh, my mom says the Thanksgiving prayer and then we make our way over to Greenville and Krista's side of the family is gathered and her mom says that Thanksgiving prayer. It's just such a beautiful opportunity for us to join hands together and, and be drawn together in the Spirit of the Lord. It's a special, very special occasion. Lots of reasons to be thankful. I hope that was true for you as well. One reason I was thankful... Is that my friend Luke died this past week? He had been diagnosed with leukemia earlier this year, but was never strong enough to, to, um, to undergo the bone marrow transplant, which was his hope. He was 58 years old and in his last couple of weeks in consider- considerable pain, so his death was, was a gift. Luke and I met as counselors at Lutheridge, you know, that great camp in the mountains of North Carolina, that Lutheran sort of enclave. Uh, it was in the middle of the 1980s, and eventually uh, we roomed together when we were both graduate students at the University of South Carolina. We have known each other for 37 years, which does not seem uh, possible at all, and as recently as last July, he was strong enough to drive down to Salisbury, and, and uh, we were able to have lunch at Shuckin Shack, shrimp. Uh, tacos with sweet tea. That was his favorite. (laughs) Luke was brilliant. He was passionate. He was creative, the kind of friend who never, ever forgot a story, even though the details of the story, he would stretch a little bit for the sake of storytelling. He was a great storyteller. Now, like most of us, he was also complicated. He was highly opinionated, A fierce Roosevelt Democrat who believed that the New Deal is what saved this country from obscurity. His goal was to finish his Ph.D. and to settle into some small teaching gig at a small college somewhere in the South. Some of his goals were accomplished, but struggles with mental health began to take over, and Luke's life became a bit more complicated and challenging. Highs and lows Moments of incredible joy and moments of terrific sorrow. Through it all, oddly enough, lutheridge this one sort of moment of time in his life, it became uh, his, his safe place, his, his haven. Its people and its stories filled him with great, great joy, a bright spot in his day, a guaranteed smile no matter what else he was facing. It was such a happy era in his life, and for that I give thanks. When he was placed in hospice two weeks ago, another friend of ours um, set up a Facebook page for fellow Lutheran counselors to share pictures and stories of Luke. They were funny. They were fantastic. They brought tears to your eyes sometimes. And his sisters would, those are the only ones in his family left, to be able to walk with him through these final days of his life. His sisters shared with him whenever they were posted even when he could no longer talk, a smile and laugh would form on his face, a flood of, of memories somewhere behind those, those glassy eyes. Now, As many of you know, um, I don't have a Facebook page, <laughs> so his sisters graciously let me visit him in his hospice room last week uh, so that we could share those memories face to face. You know, and I know many of you know this, of course, saying goodbye to a friend is never Easy. As I left his room that night, I was enveloped by the sheer silence of a hospice house, fully aware that, that I would not see him again. It was so very odd, really, walking down the long hall and through the front door. Inside, of course, I knew that there were people doing just as I had done, bidding farewell to friends, to family members, to, to love, to joys, to sorrows, to stress, to pain, the, fear, the fever of life nearly over. As the door to the front of the hospice building was closing, a woman who I did not know was even there uh, said sort of in behind me somewhere, "'Thank you so much for coming,' she said. "'All is well.'" I just smiled. I really didn't know what else to say, but I said goodnight as the door closed behind me. To be honest, I, I sort of expected in that moment to break down into, into tears, but, but oddly enough, and I'm not insure, entirely sure why, I had this beautiful sense of hope-filled expectation as I made my way to my car. All is well were the words that I, that I heard as I left Luke one final time. All is well. And she was right. It, it's something that made me smile. In fact, It made me laugh out loud as I walked to the car. Luke had struggled far too long, and now before us was hope-filled expectation that the God of our fathers and mothers, the author of creation, the beginning and the end, the morning star, the lion of Judah, the wellspring from on high, the king of all kings, our mighty fortress, this same God had blessed us in that very moment with hope-filled expectation that says, I've got this. All is well. I don't fully understand what that even means. I mean, it's a mystery beyond my comprehension, but it's also a comfort that has blessed inhabitants of this earth ever since God began revealing Himself in the likes of Abraham and, and Sarah of Moses and Miriam of Jeremiah and Isaiah of, of Esther and Deborah uh, by saying, My covenant, it is with you. My relationship does not end but continues into eternity for our God is our, is our help in ages past, our hope for years to come, a God who gives us every reason to hope with hope. Hope-filled expectation that this kingdom will come. His will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so, we can close our eyes at night, you and I, or even for those who close their eyes one final time on this earth, we can do so with confidence that all is well. Hope-filled expectation, hope-filled confidence. It's a powerful theme during this season of Advent this four-week season of the year that's just before Christmas that reminds us that the manger and the cross, they are not the only features of this story of Jesus. And certainly, they aren't the final chapter of Jesus' life, but that God will come again to usher in a remarkable kingdom of great joy. And so, we are invited during this very brief season of the year, we are invited to place our hope in God's promise, even as we decorate our trees, as we pull out time-honored manger scenes even as we struggle with the weight of life, the challenges all around us, the anxiety that is sometimes within us, we do so with hope for, for what is to come, which is why we light a candle, after all, and why we, we whisper together the words that have reminded and encouraged generations of Christians Jesus Christ is the light of the world, a light no darkness will overcome. Will you say that with me? Jesus Christ is the light of the world, a light no darkness will overcome. Our reading today begins literally in the very beginning of Luke's gospel. Advent marks the beginning of the church year, and so we begin to read through yet another of the gospels that are before us from beginning to end. Last year, we walked through the gospel of Mark. This year, we'll walk through the gospel of Luke, who, like my friend of the same name, was a brilliant storyteller. Luke begins with, three, or with these words, explaining why he is writing, gathering, and drawing together a story of Jesus. Verse 3 says, "'I decided, after investigating everything very carefully from the very first, I decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the truth concerning the things about which you have been instructed, so that you might know the truth.'" Now, much has been written, by the way, about who Theophilus is. Uh, There are some great theories out there, but I'm rather content to think of Theophilus in the way that his name implies. After all, Theophilus literally means loved by God. You who are loved by God, and that includes all of you. You who are loved by God, Luke says, here is a story for you, a story of Jesus And the very first story that he tells begins in verse 5. It says this, In the days of King Herod of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly order of Abijah. His wife was a descendant of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. Now, I have to admit to you, I'd love... Uh, nothing more than for us to sit down and carefully walk through every word, every verse of this uh, first chapter of Luke's gospel. It's loaded with meaning. It's loaded with purpose. It's a fantastic beginning of Luke's gospel. But alas, we don't have time, so no worries, right? But I am going to lift up one very intriguing aspect of this very first story, and it has to do with the first names that come to us in Luke's gospel did you notice who they were? The first is King Herod. King Herod, the king of Judea, that geographical region around Jerusalem. Um, And then two very everyday names that are also presented to us, names Zechariah and Elizabeth. If you take a look at just those three names, you'll notice an incredible contrast between them. The king... And two very everyday folks. Here's what I mean and and why this story sits at the beginning of our season of Advent. At the time of Jesus, and this is important to know, just sort of this context, this setting... Um, Israel had experienced four hundred years. wrap your head around that four hundred years, four centuries of Greek and Roman domination. Their faith was under intense scrutiny. Their temple had been ransacked and destroyed. priests were of the of the temple. priests were replaced by male prostitutes in, in, in uh, the temple itself uh, was was nothing of what it had been designed to be. Secular rulers were given divine titles. For example, Ptolemy I of Egypt was known as the Savior. Antiochus the second of Greece wanted everyone to call him God. His grandson, also named Antiochus, demanded that he be referred to as the manifest God. For hundreds of years, the people of Israel had to put up with all of that and all of that mess. They had no choice. So, imagine as we step into today's story, imagine the pent-up anger that they must have felt, the frustration, the helplessness. What, 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 what the, all that means is that when Luke begins his gospel, he, he brings a lot of baggage into the story, and he begins with this name, Herod. It must have filled the people with just a lot of frustration just to even hear the name. It's not just a historical reference, of course. King Herod represents all that is cruel, all that is evil, all that is, that is deadly and dark in this world, which means he represents the exact opposite of God. In contrast, Luke adds the names Zechariah and Elizabeth, just everyday people, An older couple without children. They couldn't have children. And yet, verse 6 says that they, not Herod, they very clearly established they are the righteous ones. They are blameless before God. Herod had it all wealth, more children than he could imagine, more wives than he would ever need. (laughs) The wealthiest man in the kingdom. Zechariah and Elizabeth literally had nothing. You see the contrast? It's striking. It's incredible. Here's the point. Jesus, the one who is coming soon, Jesus is entering into a world of incredible contrasts then, and some would argue even now, the rich and the poor, slave and free, good and evil, the powers of God and the powers of Satan. Jesus was entering into that kind of world. And here's the thing. His goal, Jesus' goal, God through Jesus, the goal is to usher in a new kingdom. Not not one of the kingdoms we're used to. Not the kingdom of Herod or of any of of the rulers of this world. God's goal through Jesus is to introduce us to a new kingdom altogether where God's light will burst through the darkness of this world. And our goal as followers Of this king, of this kingdom, is to allow the light of Jesus to reflect through us so that the world might finally get a glimpse of God's kingdom. And anywhere you see mercy and justice today, anywhere you see forgiveness and love today, anywhere you see joy and peace today, you are seeing a glimpse of God's kingdom. That's the kingdom John the Baptist will preach about. John, the son of Elizabeth and Zechariah, that's the kingdom Jesus will preach about. That's the kingdom I hope you will proclaim in your everyday life. But there is a warning. The warning is this. Far too many followers of this Jesus have defaulted to another kingdom altogether. Far too many followers of Jesus throughout the centuries and certainly now have defaulted to a kind of kingdom that is not part of God's hopes and dreams for this world. A kingdom, perhaps, of politics. A kingdom of divisiveness where, perhaps, social media, for example, has taken the place of the gospel. Where anger and hatred and vitriol has taken the place of peace and joy and hope. Advent reminds us of God's ultimate goal for you and for me. To set aside the kingdoms of this world and to remember, in fact, that there is but one King, one Lord of all. Today, I invite you to commit your life to Him. Today, I invite you to willingly follow in His footsteps and His alone to reflect His light for all to see. And as you do, no matter where you are, no matter where God has placed you, where you have been planted, whether a temporary location or or a forever place, wherever you are, may you be that reflection of God's bright light Because as you do, you too will hear the same whisper I heard on that dark but hope-filled night last week, that all is well. Because at the end of the day, it is. Thanks be to God. Amen.